Uh, this morning, I'd like to just sp- uh, spend our time together considering why was Jesus on trial? Why was Jesus executed? Why was he put on that cross? Why do we, we sing his praises today? Why did the religious people of the first century decide this man needs to be done away with? And so we're going to look at that uh, together this morning, and I think we'll see uh, that God had a plan, and he used men's actions to accomplish that plan. We're going to look at that this morning uh, together, and I I think, uh, I pray anyways, it will be helpful to you. Last week, we were talking about Jesus, just who is Jesus? And we looked at the fact that he was, uh, he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah or the Christ, Uh, He is God himself, and he is the Savior. And uh, we looked at each one of those last week, and so we continue. If Jesus is the Son of God, if he's the Christ, if he's the Savior, why was he crucified? And uh, so why don't you bow your heads and and pray with me as we we commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for loving us. Lord, we, we thank you, I think, every week pretty much for sending your Son, Jesus, Uh, to die on the cross. Lord, I pray um, that as we look at your word this morning, we'll gain a better understanding of uh, the events leading up to his crucifixion. Uh, What was the the plan? How was this the right thing? Uh, Lord, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you teach us this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think this, this morning as we look at it, I've kind of divided it into two sections. There's sort of what was happening uh, here on earth that led to Jesus' crucifixion, and then, of course, what was, what was God directing? What was his plan uh, from heaven? And so, um, we, we see all through the New Testament as we read the Gospels that Jesus and the religious leaders, they clashed, right? They didn't get, they didn't get along. And I think this is one of the first things that led to Jesus' crucifixion is that the ministry of Jesus angered the religious leaders. What Jesus did made them mad. And uh, eventually we're going we're gonna to get to Mark chapter 14. And we have a lot of scripture I want to look at this morning. Um, and, and just jot this down if you're taking notes. Luke chapter 5 verse 17 to Luke chapter 6 verse 11. I'm going to reference this, this section of scripture because in this short section of scripture, uh, Jesus did a, a variety of things, and he angered the religious leaders. This was early in his ministry, uh, and so if you, if you read this later this week, you'll see in Luke chapter 5, 17 uh, to 26, this is where Jesus ministered to the paralytic man, and his friends dropped him in through the roof, and before Jesus healed the man, Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven, and then he healed them. And Jesus uh, uh, made the, the religious leaders angry in this instant. In the, in the next four or five verses, we read where Jesus ate a meal with the tax collectors and the sinners. He, 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 he mixed and he interacted with and he spent time with those that the religious leaders would uh, not spend any time with. Uh, in the next uh, six verses or so, uh, there's this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders, and the religious leaders want to know, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? John's disciples fast, our disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast. Uh, the next, into Luke chapter 6, 
The next few verses, Jesus and his disciples, as they're walking along, they, they get some grain off of the, off, off of the wheat or the, the plant that's growing, and they ate some of it, and this angered the religious leaders. Uh, and then Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. So if we, if we read each of these instances, the Pharisees are watching, they're questioning, uh, they are upset, and it, and it culminates here, Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 11, Jesus is healing the sick, he's feeding the hungry, he's casting out demons, uh, and, the, and, and this is what it says, Luke chapter 6, verse 11, the end of this section, uh, but they, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were filled with fury. They were angry, like they were raging that, that Jesus was doing the things that he was doing. It says, they were filled with fury and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is in the first days, weeks, months of Jesus' ministry. He's got these guys so mad, they're talking about what are we going to do with him? How are we going to deal uh, with this man? And it's interesting, the, the religious leaders of the day focused on um, what you were supposed to do and what you were not supposed to do, what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, what you even must do and what you must not do. But Jesus had teaching that gave life. He taught about love. He taught about compassion. He talked about uh, forgiveness. And so right from the very beginning, what, how Jesus ministered, how Jesus taught, how Jesus sought to reach the people uh, was polar opposite to the way that the religious leaders of the day uh, uh, dealt with people. So that's, that's, that's number one. The religious leaders were angry with the way Jesus did ministry. But let me ask you this. Let's, let's try and keep it personal today. Have you ever been angry at somebody because they loved well? Like, it seems like a strange question, but just, just think about it with me for a minute. Have you ever been angry at someone because they loved well? Now, if you're, if you're like me... Uh, you might be like a rule follower. Well, we're supposed to do it, so I'm gonna do it. And, and, and a lot of times the rule followers get upset with people that are all about love. And you're thinking, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm doing it when I'm supposed to be doing it, and this, this guy or this girl, they're just out there, they're breaking all the rules, but they're loving people. They're caring for people. And when I say they're breaking all the rules, I mean, they're not, I'm not saying they're out there just living a, a licentious, sinful life, but they're just not quite fitting into the, the narrow norms that we've defined as right and wrong. That's what I'm talking about. It's really interesting. Jesus said uh, to, uh, at, at one time in his ministry, he says, not the healthy he, who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus' ministry angered the religious leaders, but Jesus' ministry also threatened the religious leaders. Uh, so most people would say Jesus' ministry continued on earth for about three years from when he, he started his public ministry till uh, he went to the cross. And so the accounts that we were just looking at in Luke were right near the beginning of his ministry. Um, and if we, all the way through, you read through the gospels, there's conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. But in John chapter 11, uh, this is uh, just shortly really before Jesus would make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and, and be put on trial and go to the cross. 
Uh, it's the account of when Jesus uh, brought Lazarus, his friend, back to life. And uh, it doesn't seem like in this situation the religious leaders were there for it, but there was a, a crowd there. And you remember this story, his body was in the, the tomb for at least three days. Everyone was like, no, don't open that, Jesus. You know what that's going to smell like. And Jesus says, no, open the tomb. He called Lazarus out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came out, brought him back from the dead. So word got back to the religious leaders. This happened in the town of Bethany. So word travels fast, especially this kind of news. And, uh, and so the religious leaders got word that, uh, of what Jesus had done in Bethany, that Lazarus had been brought out of the grave. And in John chapter 11, uh, verse 47 and 48, this is their response. They hear that Jesus brought a man back to life. And this is their response. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Man, we would have people putting their hope in someone that could give life to the dead. We wouldn't want that. Can you imagine the mindset? The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were afraid of what Jesus' ministry was doing. They were afraid for themselves, for their power, for their authority, for their influence. Um, shortly after Lazarus, uh, this, this uh, miracle with Lazarus, Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So now we've, we've I mean, we started at the beginning of his ministry. We just flew through three years and now Jesus is coming into Jerusalem the people are calling out Hosanna in the highest, just as we sang this morning. They are celebrating uh, this, this Messiah, this anointed one, this Savior. They've got him on the donkey coming down into Jerusalem. They are throwing their coats down. They're putting the palm leaves down for him. And the Pharisees are, are, are gathering together. They're seeing all that is happening. They, they come together. John chapter 12, 19, the Pharisees said to one another, you see, we're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they were right what they, they thought. Man, if, he, if we let this guy raise people from the dead, everyone was going to believe in him. And now they're gathering. They're, look, they're, look, everybody's going after him. Where does that leave us? They were threatened. Their position, their power was threatened. They were afraid they were losing the control, the hearts of the people had gone to Jesus. The Pharisees never had the hearts of the people. They had them towing the line. They never had the hearts of the people. And uh, they were feeling threatened. Their jealousy was so bad that even Pilate, the Roman governor, was aware of it. And as, as Jesus progressed through the, this, this week before his death, we call it the Holy Week, um, eventually he, he lands, and we're going to talk th this morning a little bit about his trial, but eventually in his trial he lands in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, and the, the Pharisees and the leaders said, this is the man, uh, we want him crucified. And this was, uh, this was Pilate's uh, re response, uh, or, or one of the things that he thought about as, as they, he's receiving this request from them. Matthew 27, 18 says, he knew it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Even Pilate, the Roman governor, recognized these guys are full of jealousy. They, they are threatened by this man. They, they don't have anything against him. They are jealous. They're envious. And that's why they have brought him to me. 
Have you ever felt threatened by somebody else's popularity? Envious of another person's effectiveness in ministry? I mean, let's be honest with each other, right? Like, we, we want to we condemn the Pharisees and, and, and Pilate for standing by, but are we so unlike them? We're, by our human nature, we want to be praised. We want to get the pat on the back. We want to get the attaboy, girl, way to go. And uh, maybe we, it would do well if we would uh, remember the scripture that tells us it is better to give than receive. And I think that would apply to praise and recognition. It's better to give praise. It's better to give recognition even than to receive and certainly to want it or to demand it. So the, the religious leaders were angry at Jesus. They felt threatened by Jesus. But is that really enough to kill somebody? Again, we're just looking at an earthly perspective right now. There's obviously, uh, God's got a heavenly purpose in this. We're looking at the earthly perspective. But this is, this is what, uh, uh, this was what they could, was too much. The straw that broke the camel's back, as, they, as you would say. Jesus claimed to be divine. He was referred to by himself and others as the Son of Man, one with the Father, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And this ultimately is what gave the, the, uh, the chief priests and the, um, the high priests and the Pharisees the ammunition they needed to, to um, put Jesus on the cross. So Mark chapter 14, uh, maybe you turn there earlier, we'll, we're going to read a passage here. And so they, they came and they seized Jesus in the garden, and their, uh, the first stop um, was to the, to the father of Caiaphas, the high priest, and then they brought him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And this is what we're reading in Mark chapter 14, verses 53, uh, starting there. It says, they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. So all the religious leaders were there um, with the high priest. And this is, of course, where Pete, when Peter followed at the distance, he came to the uh, courtyard. This is where he denied Jesus around the fire. Verse 55 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. They really didn't have anything. They were angry. They were threatened. They were jealous. Uh, but they don't have anything uh, to, to seek the death penalty for them. So 56 says, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I'll destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So they don't have anything. They don't have a reason to put Jesus on the cross. But then the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Two reasons there. We can read Old Testament prophecy that said he'd be silent. But really, they didn't, there was no charge to answer at this point. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, so finally Jesus answers, he says, I am. Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, yes, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the son of the, are, are you the son of God? Yes, I am. 
And he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, if you're reading along, you, it, you might see this in, if you've got notes in your Bible, but Psalm uh, 110 verse 1 and then Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. What's not immediately obvious to us, but would have been obvious to the high priests, the chief elders, and the rulers of the people, that Jesus was referring to him was referring about himself. He was referring them back to Old Testament prophecy about who the Messiah would be. He said, "Yes, I am." Uh, the Messiah. I am the son of the blessed. I am the son of man. I'm the one who will come and sit at the right hand of the Father. Verse uh, 63, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. It was, uh, if you claim to be God, they were, these were faithful Jewish people who believed there was one God, the God of heaven and of earth, and, and if you claimed to be God, you were, that, you were, uh, that was a death sentence. And so they said, finally, we have something uh, to condemn him on. He claims to be God. Aren't you glad this morning Jesus is God? You were celebrating this morning that Jesus is God. They, they determined that he was God, or at least whether they believed him or not, he, he, he pro- proclaimed that he was God, and so they said, we're going to kill him. So the, the evening continues, and if, as you read through the, uh, the, the New Testament, you'll see um, each gospel kind of records a, a different series of events leading up to the crucifixion. It's not that uh, they're conflicting events, but different authors highlighted the different trials. There were multiple trials uh, in, in, in front of Pilate. There were multiple tri- trials in front of the Jewish religious leaders. So they, they left the high priest and they went before uh, the Sanhedrin. In Luke chapter 22, it records that. And, and again, a similar uh, conversation. And they asked him again in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 70, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And they, their conclusion was the same. What else do we have to ask him? Uh, he said it from his own lips. And, and, and uh, so they came to the same conclusion. John chapter 19 uh, records, again, uh, different gospels recording some of the same, some of the different uh, elements of this evening. John chapter 19, verse 7. Uh, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So if someone were to say to you, why did Jesus' own people put him on the cross? Here's our answer. Jesus told them that he was the son of God, and they said, you are blaspheming. There is no way that you, a man, could be the son of God, and they put him on the cross. Is that really enough to put Jesus on the cross? Like, if Jesus is God, like he said he is, do they really have the power to put him on the cross? Jesus was crucified because it was the plan of God for salvation, accomplished by the actions of men. 
And uh, we can look back through the Old Testament and see from the very beginning that God had a plan of redemption for mankind. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first sin, uh, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which were insufficient. And so an animal was killed so that they would have uh, clothes of animal skin to put on. Uh, We could look at the story of the ark, and the ark was a provision of safety and of life for those that entered it. Uh, We can look at Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, and a a ram was provided um, uh, for for the life of Isaac. We could look at Rahab and her family that were were spared. She hung a a, a, a what color uh, thread out? A scarlet thread uh, representing the blood of Jesus. Uh, and, the, and she was spared because of her faith in God. Boaz redeemed Ruth when, when Ruth had no means or ability to redeem herself. We could go on and on in the Old Testament looking at instances where people were unable to save themselves and God provided a means of salvation, including the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Hundreds uh, of, of thousands of animals, bulls and sheep and goats and doves that were sacrificed to cover the sin of men. And yet each instance of redemption in the Old Testament was temporary. It was, it was not sufficient. There would be another sin on another day that would also have to be covered and paid for. And so uh, redemption in the Old Testament was always incomplete, sufficient for the moment, but not forever. And then comes Jesus. John the Baptist introduced Jesus, uh, and when he saw him, Jesus ready to begin his public ministry and declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is God's plan. Jesus would come to earth, he'd be born uh, of a virgin, he would grow into be a man, he would live a perfect life, and he was on a path to the cross to deal with the sin of the world, including your sin, including my sin. I was over there with Craig this morning. I said, okay, don't, we're not going to do these verses. We're not going to do these verses. We're not going to, there's a lot of verses we could uh, uh, look at this morning. It was God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross for the salvation of the world carried out by the actions of men. This is, this is underlined um, in, in, in one of Jesus's interaction with Pilate. We see that Uh, Jesus was not simply a victim of a corrupt religious and political system. He went to the cross because we needed a sacrificial lamb. We needed a sacrifice that wasn't temporary, but that was permanent. Good for the sins of the world, not for an individual. And Jesus was that sacrifice. When Jesus was in front of Pilate in John chapter 19... Uh, there was some, some back and forth between Pilate and Jesus, Pilate and the crowd, Pilate and the religious leaders, and at one point, Pilate came back into uh, his headquarters, it says in John chapter 19, verse 9, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Well, he said that to the wrong person, didn't he? (laughs) And Jesus answered him. 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. The plan of God carried out by the actions of men. In the book of Acts, we see this, we see this really clearly. Um, Luke records in, in the book of the Acts um, a lot of interactions between the early church leaders and the religious church leaders. The conflict didn't end when Jesus died on the cross. The, 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 the new followers of Christ continued to be at odds with the religious leaders. And in the early chapters of the book of Acts, um, we see some of these interactions, and I, I want to look at it because it really highlights this idea that, that God had a plan and he used men to accomplish that plan. So Acts chapter 2, uh, verse certain verse 22, this is on the day of Pentecost when Peter is preaching to the masses, the Holy Spirit has come on them, and, and, uh, and Peter is very bold here. He says, uh, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. So he's identifying who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus, the one who did the miracles, the one who did the signs and the wonders. Uh, You saw this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was the plan of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The action of men. Plan of God carried out by the action of men. But of course, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Glory to God. God had a plan, and he used men to carry out those, that plan. Acts chapter 3 Uh, Verse 13, this is still the uh, Apostle Peter preaching another sermon, uh, and he says this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. He's making it clear here, look, Pilate's going to let him go, and you demanded that he be crucified. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. There, there's, there's no, Peter makes no wiggle room. He's talking directly to the religious leaders and he said, you're the one that killed him. It was the actions of men that put Jesus on the cross. But he continues a, verse, uh, a couple verses later, verse 17. He says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Now, they knew what they were doing. Maybe they didn't actually realize that when Jesus said he was the Son of God, he said that because he was the Son of God. Maybe they didn't understand that completely. Um, And so he says, uh, you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled It was your actions carrying out God's plan. It was was God's plan from the beginning for Jesus to go to the cross. One one more. One more I want to bring bring to your attention. Acts chapter 4, just continuing um, in in this progression here in the first few books, or the first few chapters of Acts. It's a great read. 
uh, you, you read through the, the Gospels about the crucifixion and, and Easter's coming up. We're going to talk more about the crucifixion next week and then, of course, the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. But the book of Acts is a great follow-up to see what was it like. And, and Peter makes no bones about it of, of what happened and why it happened. And so at one point, Peter and John were arrested. It was after they healed a paralytic. Uh, they, were, they were teaching uh, in and around the temple and the synagogues, and so they were arrested, they were kept overnight, they were being questioned, uh, and then they were released. And after they were released, they found a group of believers, and they came, the, the believers came together, and they prayed to God. This is part of their prayer uh, to, to God. They said to God, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they, they're quoting to God, uh, Psalms chapter 2, why do the nations rage and the, people, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So this is a prayer by the disciples to God and they're just praying to God, uh, God's, God's word, the Psalms. And then uh, he says this, in fact, this is the very city where Herod and Pontius Pilate conspired with the Gentiles and the people of Israel against your holy servant Jesus. So reading the Psalms, why do the nations rage, the people's plot invade, then identify these people as the people of Israel. The kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers gather together, identifying them as Herod and Pilate against the Lord and against his anointed one. Who is that? It was Jesus, whom you anointed. And look at verse 28. They carried out what your hand and will had decided beforehand would happen. The plan of God and the actions of men. Why did Jesus end up on the cross? Why did his own people crucify him? Because it was God's plan from the beginning, and it was carried out by the actions of men. Jesus told his people that he was their God, and they crucified him for it. I've been mentioning a group of people tonight, or this morning, excuse me, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the elders of the people. Who were these people? They were the church people. They were the ones faithful to attend the synagogues on the, uh, every weekend, faithful to go to the temple and to give their tithes and their offerings. They were the ones that memorized the scripture and taught it to others. They, they knew the law, they knew the prophets. They were eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah. Now, the problem is they saw Jesus and did not see that he was the Messiah. They saw him as a threat. He made them angry. So their Messiah came and they crucified him. He cared for people and that made them angry. The people loved him and they became jealous and envious. They didn't realize that it was the will of God. The very ones that should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, they put him on the cross. Now, of course, we know it wasn't them that actually put him on the cross. We read it this morning. It was actually the Romans that did it. Um, and and Pont, uh, Pontius Pilate was ready to release him, and they demanded that, that the Romans crucify him. And the Romans were 
expert executioners. They killed thousands of people by crucifixion. These guys knew how to draw out a death, to make it terrible, and to send a message. I want you to look at one last passage with me. It's from Mark chapter 15. If you're in Mark chapter 14, you just can flip over a page or two. And this, this is right at the end. We're going to look at the crucifixion uh, in more detail next week. Uh, but right at, right at uh, the point of Jesus' death, Mark chapter 15, verse 37, says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And, and maybe that's even where he, he cried out as it's recorded in John. It is finished. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, now this is the Roman officer, master executioner, stood facing Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Isn't there irony there? This Roman soldier, executioner by trade, trained and paid to take life, he looked at Jesus and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus' own people heard Jesus' testimony to them. Yes, I am the Son of God, and they killed him for it. So just as we close this morning, I guess I just have a question. Who is Jesus to you? We know who Jesus is. We spent time on that last week. But is that how you accept Jesus? Is that how you receive Jesus? Is that how your, your family looks at Jesus? Is that how your coworkers look at Jesus? Is that how your neighbors look at Jesus? We've got, to, we've got the great news. We know who Jesus is. We are like, we, we, have, we have the knowledge that the religious leaders had, and we have the belief that the Roman centurion had. Truly, this is the Son of God. Who's Jesus to you? Who's Jesus to the people that we see every day, that we will see this week? My prayer for you and for them is that there would be a belief that he is the Son of God. He is the, the Christ, the, the, the Messiah, the one who came to save us, the one who came to save you, the one who came to save me. We've got that, this good news who are we going to tell it to? Who needs to know it? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for sending your son. Uh, you, had a, you had a plan from the beginning, and it came at great cost to you. Jesus, thank you for being willing to go to the cross for us. You, you weren't there for yourself. You didn't need it. You were perfect. You, you actually left heaven to live a perfect life, to set the example for us, and to go to that cross so that we might have life. Lord, I pray that there are many here this morning that are thanking you for the salvation of your son. 
If I could just talk to, to, to those here this morning that would say, no, he's not my savior. I'm not convinced that he's the son of God. We, we talked about that last week. He's either the son of God or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. My prayer for you this morning is that you would look at Jesus and see him who he, for who he really is, your savior. That you'd look at yourself and say, man, I, I messed up. Uh, I'm, I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. But Jesus came that we might have life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. By putting your faith and trust in, in Jesus and that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. You, can, you come into a relationship with him and you have the same hope that Jesus had that he, he was raised from the dead to be with the Father and we have that same hope. So if, that's, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you would come forward. Do you find uh, as, we, as we stand together in a moment that you'd find a, a, an elder or pastor at the front that you would just say, hey, will you tell me more about this Jesus? I want to know. I want to know for sure that I have this eternal life that Jesus offers. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for setting the example of how to love people, how to have compassion on people, how to, uh, to reach out to those who, who deny you, don't know you, or who would reject you. Lord, would we follow your example this week as we go into our homes and our neighborhoods and our community that uh, the name of Jesus would be on our, our lips, that we would be thankful for what you've done for us, We'd have a desire to make that known to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.